Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. As we continue our series regarding Christ the King, James considers the historical account of Christ's crucifixion as it is found in the Gospels. He begins by discussing the ironies surrounding his salvific event in time and space, though ultimately in eternity. You can click on the link in the description to visit us on YouTube. We pray this message encourages Christ's church. All right, let's pray. Our Father, come to you solemnly. Ask for your providence and your grace, your merciful truth. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, testimony of your Son upon the cross, our King upon the cross, procuring your people to yourself to save us alive unto you. Father, may we have broken hearts mended by your grace and thanksgiving, gratitude and supplication. Father, we lift this time up to you, glorify you now and forever. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. So today, we are going to consider the cross, the way we are going to go through the story uh, I want to use all four Gospels. Well, they'll still be, you know, subsequent from the previous narratives. But, you know, the Gospels, it, many people get hung up on some of the differences in the Gospels. Well, there are four different men telling a story four different ways. You know, when, you, when, you're, re- when you're writing a history of anything, when you're writing a biography, when you're writing anything. I mean, there are reporters, think of a journalist. You know, report and, and write upon a certain event, and the next reporter is going to bro- re- report on the same event in a different way. And so, I think the four gospels, in their to- you know, in their whole, provides us with more of the picture. Remember, at the end of the Gospel of John, it says, you know, we couldn't write any everything that Jesus Christ both did and preached. Otherwise, we wouldn't have enough room in the world for all the books that would be necessary. And so. We have somewhat a contracted version, however, we are going to consider parts of these in all of the different Gospels. I just think this would, this will afford us an opportunity to see the, the symbiosis, you know, the, the, the wholeness of the Gospels together, whereas some of them Right? Some things that weren't written in the others, some of them repeat the others in their various ways by which they give their account of the same account. Okay, and, and I think that's actually wonderful. And people, there are debates as to some of these differences, but those debates notwithstanding, we'll, we'll, we'll consider this narrative and, uh, and discuss those debates at a later time. Before we get into this, um, I'm, I must say I'm indebted to a man named D.A. Carson. He's, he's a theologian. He's a brilliant man. He actually has many big books, um, and he's, he's a Canadian, so he's brilliant despite the fact that he's from Canada. And I hope even if he were to somehow come across this, he would appreciate it coming from a Texan because I'm sure they feel the same way about Texans. So just one of those funny things. However, in one of his books called Scandalous, which is about the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he points out something that all of us kind of see anyway, but I just, I liked his headings. And so I'm going to steal his headings and not really go into all the detail that he provides. But 
it really has to do with the ironies that are involved here. In other words, to start off with, I'll give you the first one, there are mainly four. There are more, but there are mainly four that we're going to look at today. And last week, we, we concluded with the soldiers, well, part of that was uh, the soldiers putting the thorn of crowns on Jesus and mocking him and spitting on him in other gospels says they beat him with a rod even on his head with the thorn with the crown of thorns but they're mocking him now so one of the ironies with that account is that the the king who is mocked or, or he who is mocked as king is the true king okay and we'll see some of these ironies some of these things but again it's because they were not given eyes to see and ears to hear He's still mocked as king today. He's still mocked as though he's, he's a, a capricious king. He's a king that's unreal. He's not a real, true king. All right, so we're going to start in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 27, verse 29, and work our way to verse 44, and then we'll move to Luke, move to Mark, and I'll give those passages as we go along. And we'll, we'll discuss the narrative somewhat briefly but what I my intention is to do because again God willing we will do this many times okay so again another introductory level message is I think it's what necessary it's what's necessary Paul talks a lot about feeding milk to the congregation to the assembly because they're not quite ready for solid food now we're going to kind of mix the milk and the solid food, so kind of a puree of sorts. Um, but because also, remember when Jesus, after his resurrection, meets up with Peter, and they have that wonderful dialogue, but, but Jesus demands him to feed my lambs, right? To feed my little ones. Even feed my little ones. Feed my sheep. Feed my older ones. Tend my sheep. So take care of them. Protect them. Actually, tend the sheep. But again, one of his commands is to feed the lamb. And so... You know, some of us are kind of early considering um, the cross of Christ and Christ specifically. And so we'll take somewhat baby steps again as time goes on. Uh, but no man can ever exhaust the Bible. In, in particular, the cross. Many Christians think that since they know the narrative, many people think that they, since they know the account, then they know the cross. There's so much wrapped up in the cross that we will spend the rest of our lives considering. Praise be to God. But there's no way I can get through all of that today, tomorrow, the next day, and a thousand years from now. Okay, so we're going to start at this level and work our way up. Okay, so Matthew chapter 27, verse 29. When they had twisted the crown of thorns, Oh, I'm sorry. This one, this is what I had uh, actually summarized. I'm sorry. So, again, this is the mockery from the soldiers. So we're actually going to start at verse 32. Now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross, Jesus's. Now, 
Simon, in Mark's Gospel, he actually says that he is the father of Alexander and Rufus, who actually later show up, at least Rufus does, in one of Paul's epistles. So it's most likely this man and his whole family was converted either at, sometime after the cross. But right now, this man is from Cyrene, very likely coming for the Passover. We must remember that the Passover is at hand, so many people are coming to Jerusalem. Many, 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 and that's going to factor in part with part of what I want to discuss anyway. So, this man is from Cyrene, and he comes to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they compel him. Jesus Christ was severely beaten. The flogging, Romans would tend to flog the, the, those who they were going to be, those who were going to be crucified. The mocking and all of it was such an exception. The Jews, the people, there were many people who could not stand the crucifixion, the, cru the cross at all, anybody being crucified. Cicero was largely against that. Many, many Gentiles, many non-believers despised the execution of, through a cross. Uh, but the mockery and, the, and the, the additional hostility towards Jesus was unlike many, most, if not all, other prisoners okay so at this time at this point he can't even carry the cross the cross right now is basically one beam that they would attach to this pole for lack of a better word so he's he has to carry this all of all condemned to crucifixion would have to carry their cross that's why Jesus says we all must carry our cross okay so he's too weak he's too battered he's too weak to carry it himself so they have this man, Simon, who it certainly seems became a Christian, became a believer sometime after the cross. Praise be to God. What, a, what an amazing and terrible privilege, but a privilege nonetheless. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to, with gall to drink. Now, this Golgotha, the place of a skull, it's likely a hill that was in the shape that looked like a skull. You see depictions of it, you know, in certain movies and so forth, but it, they called it the place of the skull, either because it looked like a skull or because this is where the crucifixions would happen. You know, okay. And then, then they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to, gall to drink. We'll also see that they offer him wine just before he gives up his spirit, before his job is over. This one is really a pain reliever. This one's a pain reliever, so he refused it. He must bear the full weight of sin. He must. So he will not relieve himself of any of the agony, of the anguish, of all the totality of the darkness of sin. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So that's, that's Psalm 22, verse 18. However, I do want to give you the rest. Or it, this is actually verse 16 through 18. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. 
for my clothing they cast lots. So this is Psalm from David speaking about the suffering Christ, the suffering Messiah. Dogs have surrounded me. They're mocking me. They, they stare at me, and they gawk at me, and they mock me, which Jesus Christ said was going to happen. Now, they divided his garments, casting lots. I know every time we see Jesus on the cross, he's wearing a linen garment. They were all crucified, completely naked, to bear the shame. Now, there's much to be said about that if we go back to the Garden of Eden. When they ate of the tree, knowledge of good and evil, they realized that they were naked. And they were ashamed. They were ashamed. It goes back to the garden. He was crucified, naked, to bear the full weight of shame and sin upon himself. So our Savior was not only hung on that cross and nailed to the cross. Now, none of the Gospels say that he was, well, that he was nailed during this time. But Doubting Thomas, the Apostle Thomas, later says, after Jesus is raised, he says, unless I put my hand in his, my finger in his side and feel the nail you know, imprints in his hands, I will not believe. And Jesus shows up, and there's a wonderful account there. But that's how we know he was nailed. They wouldn't always be nailed, but he was nailed. He was nailed to the cross, naked, completely naked, to bear the shame again. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they, put, and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now, in Luke's account and in, gospel, and in John's Gospel, it, it says that this was written in Greek, Latin, and in Hebrew, so that everybody, everybody knew why he was on the cross. They would put these accusations most, most of the time, uh, but this one specifically is really a mockery now we considered Pilate though we considered Pilate's heart Pilate's heart but there was such political division this could have just been you know to insult the Jews we don't know exactly why but again this is something of an irony that they're putting this accusation this is this is Jesus the king of the Jews to to belittle him to demean him and yet he is the king of the Jews so but this is written on him, uh, over his head. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and, and another on the left, just before we even get to that, because I, I, I neglected to mention, we had talked about Barabbas, you know, they, they chose Barabbas instead, and he was a robber. Now, and I did mention that, you know, that could mean a very violent robber. Well, the other Gospels, we were reading Gospel of John, the other Gospels do make it clear, and I should have made it clear, that he was a violent, basically he was going to be crucified. Barabbas was going to be crucified. That's important to set out as we consider the two thieves on the cross. And those who passed by, by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So these people are mocking, basically accusing him of being powerless of being powerless. So he who is mocked as powerless is absolutely full of power. He chose not to come down the cross down the cross because from the cross because he could not come down from the cross. And we'll get to that here in just a second. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, "He saved others. 
himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. As though he hadn't done enough to show that they should believe him. But let him come down and uh, we'll believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him. Now if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. So he who is mocked as not being able to save himself saves others. Jesus refused to save himself from this because he must, he must bear the cross. This is a necessity. This isn't an option for Jesus. He came to fulfill all righteousness. He came to do the will of his Father. His meat and his drink was to do the will of the Father. And this has been planned from eternity. And so he will not come down that cross. So some of the irony, again, many people mock him that he is just absolutely powerless. You know, if he was the son of God, why didn't he just come down from the cross? He's this king, you know, to save, come to save, and he has saved others. Why doesn't he save himself? He would, he could. It's the difference between can, ability, and permission, basically. He would not. He would not. He doesn't have permission, basically. And he acquiesced to that. It's not a reluctant thing. Now, because I think it's important to lay this out, I speculate, and I'm sure others have as well, I don't know if Jesus even felt the nails. I, I don't even know if he really thought about being laid open and naked and so forth. I don't know if he still felt the, the pain from the flogging. We must understand that the, the, the entirety of sins, all sins, from the past to the future until he returns, that absolute, the heavy darkness, that weight was all laid upon him. And we will see for three hours, it's absolutely dark. He is bearing these sins of the world. I don't know if he felt one of those nails. I don't know if he felt the scourging on his back. He felt the sins. He felt the sins. He felt our sins. So let us, let us at least merely get away from merely seeing the physical agony of Christ. Many people have died terrible deaths. Many people have died and died terrible physical deaths. Nobody, no one has lived like Christ and no one has died like Christ. So I think that's just important to set out as we continue. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. So we're going to jump to Luke to talk about these robbers. Luke is the only one who gives this account. Again, just because it's not mentioned in the other ones doesn't mean that Luke made this up. He's just giving different details. So we're going to Luke chapter 23, verse 39 until uh, verse 43. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you, under the, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. For this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, 
Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Both of these thieves were reviling him and mocking him. Both of them were. At some point, again, many people witnessed this actual event that occurred in time and space. The thief right next to him obviously was one of them, one of them. And somehow, some way, through again, because he was given eyes to see and ears to hear, one of the thieves who deserved this, that's what he admits. He admits we are here justly. We are receiving the just penalty for what we did. Now, there's speculation as to who these two thieves were. It's very likely that they were partners with Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber also, but Barabbas was released. Thieves were crucified. And this man, maybe because he saw Barabbas was, was given out, you know, was excused, and this man, who he knows hasn't done anything wrong, starts mocking him, and something hits him. Something hits him. And he realizes this is completely unjust from the world's viewpoint, from the world's perspective. This is absolutely unjust. I know why I'm here. Why are you here? Lord, remember me. I know where this is headed. Somehow, I don't have the Gospels. I'm here on the cross. But I know who you are. Remember the blind man. Remember the one that Christ healed with his, from his blindness. And he said, you know, basically before I even came to you, you knew me. You saw me. And so this man has been given eyes to see what Christ is doing through this event. And we've mentioned, you know, we've had our imagination roam with him entering into glory and what that might have looked like. But let us notice that in this historical time frame, Jesus Christ upon the cross is still bringing people to himself while he's on the cross. Again, the cross is an eternally historic intersection. All of eternity converges upon the cross. And during this time, Still, he saves this violent thief. Nobody, nobody is absolutely outside the outstretched arms of Jesus Christ. His grace has no limit. It has no end. It applies to his people. But the cross, that's, that's why it's essential to recognize even the fallen men and women, all of the sins, all of the sins were laid upon him. All the sins of the entire world were laid upon him. Some, or many are called, many are called, few are chosen. Essential to remember. But again, one of the thieves is chosen. So we're going to jump to Mark. Chapter 15, verse 33. 
Now, when the sixth hour had come, now look, remember, the sixth hour is about noon. Okay, so this is high noon. Okay, now when now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, so for three hours. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's in that's Psalm 22, verse 1. I hope you all read that as I had requested, you know mentioned would be helpful some of those who stood by when they heard that said look he is calling for elijah because it sounds the same the name sounds the same then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink saying let him alone let us see if elijah will come down and come to take him down so this is different than the first cup Okay, this one's not a pain reliever, and this was prophesied that he would be given this, basically another name for this is vinegar. Now these men are only offering this to him to see if Elijah will come. They're trying to prolong his agony in order to see if this ridiculous, presumptive event is going to happen. They are still mocking him. This One of the men go and gets this sour wine, vinegar basically, and offers it to him, not to help him, not to help him, to help him enough to see if this great thing happens. They're just wanting, they're there for a show. They're there for a show. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last, and we will consider what he cried out when we go to John. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. In other Gospels it says there was a soldier who did the same. Very, very, much, very likely it's a centurion just like Cornelius, you know, who had his faithful soldier came to believe. So it seems that it was a centurion and some of the soldiers these Romans, these pagans. Now he says, Surely, truly this man was the Son of God. Because from his worldview, he's gone, he's dead. But he realizes that this man truly was the Son of God. Now he needs an interpreter. Now he needs a preacher. Now he needs a Bible. Now he needs to be fed. He's now a babe in Christ. Truly, this man was the Son of God. No centurion this man is the son of god he's always been the son of god but it starts there it starts many different ways for his people but what a blessed thing that at the death of our savior these pagans these heathens these these men who believe in all this nonsense but but cannot stand the jews they can't help but recognize what is this? It, there also was an earthquake that happened, but the veil of the temple tore from top to bottom. Remember, the veil to the whole, most holy place, to the throne of grace, is Christ's flesh. So that's to symbolize that we have been granted access, but right after the darkness, three hours of darkness in, in the brightest time of the day, there is much speculation as to what happened. Was this an eclipse or what? It doesn't matter. It was a cosmic event. All of eternity was leading to this point, and all of eternity stems from this point. 
We will never forget the cross. God willing, but we will never forget the cross. Even in glory, we will not forget the cross. Remember, even in Revelation, John's talking about this lamb who was slain. We will, we will forever be glorifying God through our Savior because of the cross, because of the life he lived and because of the life he gave. Now, so he cried out briefly. I do, I think it's important to recognize here. Remember Jesus Christ said, Christ says of his life, I have the power to lay it down and have the power to take it up again. Jesus Christ gave up his life when it was time. When it was time, when his job was done. And we'll get into that and we'll see that more when we consider the Gospel of John. But I do want to briefly take a little, little detour, not detour, but kind of a side. One of the things, I've you know, my imagination goes crazy sometimes, especially with, with this account in particular, with all these accounts. Again, many people were coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. You have this, the story of the two, two thieves already. So I envision two men, just two random, two Jews coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, right? And just outside of Jerusalem, because he was crucified just outside of Jerusalem, they see these three criminals being hung on a cross, and they're probably discussing to each other, oh man, they're still doing this crucifixion thing. I mean, what they did was terrible, but this crucifixion thing must end. This is an anti-Semitic deal, which is typically mostly applied to the Jews, especially in Jerusalem, obviously. So this, this is terrible. I mean, I know they, they were violent or whatever. You know, I don't know who the guy in the middle is, but they're obviously, they obviously deserve this. But man, crucifixion, that's terrible. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they hear the one in the middle cry out, L-O-I. L-O-I, lama sabachthani. That's Aramaic. That's Aramaic for my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I envision one of them stopping. They're both walking, and then all of a sudden he hears that. They both heard it, but one stops and remembers. Wait a minute, I remember that. That's the Psalm of David. Again, they didn't have it broken down in chapters and verses, so he's not thinking, oh yeah, this is the 22nd Psalm. That's the Psalm of David about the suffering servant. Wait a minute. What, what's going on here? And his, he's somewhat intrigued. You know, he starts to turn, and his friend starts mocking him. What are you doing? So what he cried out, what, you know, he's probably just one of these criminals blaming God for what's going on, what's happening to him. He deserves it, but just like many men and women, we like to blame God for near everything. So the other man's like, no, come on, let's just keep on going. But the man can't help it. So he goes. So he goes before the cross. In John's account, and we're not going to read it, but Jesus says to his mother, Mary is there. He says, Mother, behold your son. And he tells the disciple who was there, who seemed like John, Son, behold your mother. And from that point on, he took care of his mother Mary. 
I just think that that man, because we're going to see when he gave up his spirit, when, he, when the job was over, he cried out, it is finished. And the earth shook, shook, the veil tore. Now he doesn't see that. But he sees everything that's going on. He sees the fulfillment of that song. And I just think he started to turn. I think he joined the soldiers in the centurion. Again, this is my imagination, but it had to happen. It had to happen. Most around there are just coming to watch a disgusting show. Terrible show. I mean, you think about the gladiator, you know, the, the Olympics and so forth as well. You know, the terrible things that would happen in the arena. Um, the people were entertained by. Many were entertained by this spectacle. But one of them came and heard and saw what had happened, what was happening in time and in space. We must put ourselves there. Each and every time we consider the cross, we must go to the cross. Let's not keep walking. Let's not dismiss this cry. Let's not dismiss this holy man upon the cross. He probably heard him, heard the other thief call out to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus said, surely, amen, amen. Today, you will be with me in paradise. One man came to faith. The other continued to mock. Again, this is my speculation, but that's ultimately what happens anyway. That's ultimately what happens anyway. Many hear the gospel. Again, many are called, few are chosen. There are many who will come before you come into the congregation of the church and hear the testimony of the word of God. And they will mock it, or they won't just, they'll intellectually believe. You know, I didn't want to get into it, but they'll intellectually assent to the information. One thing I can see, because I'm so smart, is that all of these religions can't at the same time be right. Right? <laughs> you know, it's a, at the very least, one of them is right. They could all be wrong. You know, logically, they could all be wrong. But at the very least, one can be right. So intellectually, I can see this Jesus fella having something to this. You know, this cross event, the eternal paradigm of all these things. Well, that makes sense. So they won't mock, but they won't come before the cross. We are meant to worship with all of our minds. So it does involve our mind, all of our hearts, and all of our souls. So, let us always approach the cross filled with our minds, filled with our hearts, and filled with our souls, and see him. See him as he truly is, and let's not continue to just pass by. All right, let's go to John. Chapter 19, um, we'll start at verse 28. And go until verse 20, 37. After this, Jesus, knowing all all things, all knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture 
might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. So this is the reason that they gave him the sour wine. Now a vessel full of sour wine, I, again, this, this can be easily mended by the fact that, you know, uh, Mark had said they were getting it to, because of Elijah and so forth. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, in the Greek, that it is finished is one word. It's telos. Teleo, I'm sorry, teleo. Which comes from telos. We've talked about teleology. We've talked about telos. To put it simply, it means the meaning of the thing, the end, the goal, or really the purpose. The purpose. So, he says, Teleo. The purpose for my coming is over. It is finished. The plan from all of eternity that is leading to this point that will carry on until I return is done. I have borne the full weight of the darkness and the sins and the death of this world. It is finished. Toleo. And that's where that's what he cried out. None of the other gospels give give this. Luke hasn't has another so it was likely, you know, he had said that and then he said it is finished and gave up his spirit. Because again, it is finished. It is finished. I no longer need to stay up here. My job is over. My mission is done. And I will not lose one. Not one that the Father has given me will be lost. It is finished. Therefore, because it was the preparation day again before Passover, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. Now, that's really another name for a holiday. And if you think about the etymological derivation of holiday, it truly is a holy day. So this preparation day was a holy day to prepare for the Passover. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So again, now crucifixion could last days. It could last days. Just real quickly to talk about the physical agony. How you would die is typically asphyxiation. So being choked, you can't breathe. You're situated in such a way you can't breathe. Again, sometimes they're tied up there, sometimes they're nailed up there. And most of the time, on the bottom, there would be this board, for lack of a better way to put it. Or they would wrap their feet, obviously, with, with Jesus. Well, it's not. it may have been with Jesus that they nailed him. We don't know that. So these depictions of the cross, because all that Thomas talked about were his hands. So they could have just tied his, his, uh, his feet to the, to the cross. Now what you would do, though, when you're hanging there, you can't, you can't breathe, and so what you would do is kind of try to lift your weight up to be able to breathe. But that would cause excruciating pain. So you're basically fighting between an intense amount of pain, an intense amount of pain, or choking, or choking, okay? So it's just essential to recognize that the reason they're breaking their legs is so that they, don't, they can't support themselves anymore. Uh, they would just choke out and die. It's the preparation day. Can't have anybody 
dying here. You know, it's almost a Passover. These men must die now. So they go, they break the legs of the two thieves that they will be killed, including the man who entered into the paradise just after that, just after he was choked out. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And remember, in that 53rd chapter of Isaiah, says, he was pierced for our iniquities. Okay, so this is also a fulfillment of a prophecy. Now, when he was struck with the spear, now this is John writing this, and John obviously has given this testimony, and he saw the blood and water came out. Now, medically, that's, that seems to indicate that it was very near his heart where they punctured. But in John's first epistle, his first epistle in the fifth chapter, verses 6 through 8, it says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. There's the Trinity. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Now, there's much to be said regarding this, especially the blood and the water that come out of Jesus Christ's side. However, to put it as succinctly as I can, we remember Jesus Christ being baptized. And, he, and we remember that during his commission to the apostles, to his disciples, go out to all the nations of the earth, baptize them in my name with water. But remember, John the Baptist had said, one is coming after me who is much mightier than me. I baptize you with water. One is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire by his blood. So, we have the water of baptism that we are commanded, blessedly commanded to, to, to do. But, we have the holy baptism. The baptism that is truly wrought by Christ. These two, with the Spirit witnessing, because he is truth, these three are one. Many, I think John wrote this because even early in the church, especially coming off the heels of, the, of John the Baptist's ministry, Jesus Christ himself was baptized. He commanded all of his disciples to be baptized. So baptism just is this huge deal. We're all saved through baptism. You know, we must repent and be baptized, right? That's how we're saved. No, no, not without the blood. Not without the blood and not with the, without the spirit of truth, these three are one. Just after he gives 
the description of the Trinity that many people say aren't isn't even in the Bible. I, you know, I've suggested that, and it's not. He doesn't say Trinity, but he says, you know, the for there are three that bear witness in heaven: the Father, the Word, who became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. This is John writing, so he's saying the the Word and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Now he's saying, in that same way, here on earth, we have three who are one. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. Given over to his people. Given over to his people for true redemption. For true salvation. We must not lack any of these three. We must not lack any of these three. The, the, the water baptism, again, is to signify purification. They would ask John the Baptist, what do we do? And he's, he doesn't say, repent and be He continued to say, repent and be baptized. But it seems like maybe this is after their baptism. He says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. You've been purified. You believe. We're preparing the way of the Lord here. So get ready. Show that you really are, that you really truly repented. You turned away from these things? Then turn away from these things. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Remember, expiation, Christ upon the cross, has taken our guilt and our shame. Propitiation is he gives his righteousness to and for his people. So taking just Continuing along the, the lines of John the Baptist, now that you have repented, now that you have turned from, turned to, he has saved you from, and he has saved you to himself. Bear fruits. You've been purified, you've been washed by the water and the blood. The Spirit testifies to remain true, to follow the Good Shepherd into glory. The way I wanted to conclude is finishing, concluding the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. We read the first seven verses. We're going to, to conclude it, verses 8 through 12. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But the with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So, made his grave with the wicked, obviously, is being crucified with criminals executed as a criminal, though he was perfectly righteous.
though he was perfectly just, but with the rich at his death, which God willing, we will consider next week as we move into the, his resurrection. But we've considered his burial somewhat briefly already. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. He was buried in a rich man's tomb, which was also prophesied about. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now, okay. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We discussed his disciples forsaking him. He was completely alone, right? even in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he's praying to his father. He wasn't utterly alone. But then, all the sheep scatter, just like that prophecy said. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. All of his disciples scatter, including Peter. He kind of follows close behind before he denies him. All of his sheep scatter, so he's alone from his disciples. When he was on that cross, his father had to turn his back. It was the first time in eternity they were separated. Jesus Christ took all the weight of sin, including the wonderful, eternal relationship that he has with our Father. But it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Not to bruise his son, but to bring his people home for absolute salvation, for, for his people, a new kingdom, an eternal kingdom, full of his light. So he turned his back on his son. That darkness is a darkness we'll never know, God willing, God willing. But that is, he truly went to hell on the cross, truly. And it pleased, pleased the Lord, pleased God the Father, and pleased God the Son, and pleased God the Holy Spirit, that he would be bruised for us. He's put him to grief. Now, when when you, he's speaking to God, when you make his, his soul, Christ's soul, an offering for sin, when you do this, God shall see his seed. The promised seed we have been talking about over and over and over again. This is his seed. The promised seed is the seed of God the Father as Jesus Christ, his son. So when you when you see your seed, and so he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days for eternity, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall, I hope this, I hope this part is implanted in your hearts. 
he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. This, this is satisfaction. This is the atonement. This is the purpose. This is the reason. This is the meaning of the cross. We want to know why? We want to know how? We want to know the purpose that tell us this is the purpose that he might see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. She has, for he shall bear their iniquities. This is a prophet hundreds and hundreds of years before the Christ came. Therefore, I will divide him, Jesus Christ, a portion with a grain. Right? He's, he's my suffering servant. He's my righteous son who has gone, gone and suffered the sins of the entire world. Right? Now, I'm going to give him a portion with the grain. He is the greatest. Right? Be, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. With those who he has made strong. The wonder and the glory that is Christ is shared with us. We do not become Christ. We do not become God. All he is, all of who God is in eternity will be ours, is ours now. But manifested, absolutely manifested in glory. What a tremendous gift. What a tremendous salvation. And we are just taking little baby steps here. There is so much to be considered with the cross. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he, the righteous one, the perfectly righteous one, was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many. Now he he took on all sins, but he bore the sin. He actually is giving up his, his, his punishment and really his penal obligation for many, for those whom he is called, for those who are written in the book of the Lamb and made intercession for the transgressors. Remember, Jesus Christ is our great high priest who has ascended to the right hand of our Father and he constantly makes intercession for us. Christ as high priest intercedes for his people. Christ is our good shepherd who has led us into the sheepfold, brought us to the cross. He has brought us to the cross. Christ in all of... Okay, Christ is prophet being the word of God made flesh, preaches, testifies us to the cross. As our great high priest, he is the cross. He is the sacrifice. He is the lamb who laid down his life as king. He's led you into the sheepfold as king. He's led us to the cross as a king and a prophet. He suffered on that cross as king and as great high priest. And he has ascended 
as king. Let us remember, let us never forget, he is, is king. He is king. He is king by right. Whether they made this plan for all, all eternity or not, he is king. But he condescended to come and bear the sins all of his life. That's why I was continually trying to tell you. His life was a life of suffering. Yes, his death was as well. But his life was a life of suffering. This king, this king left his eternal kingdom to come to fight the war. The eternal war. And our king has won. And now we are all given crowns. Crowns of life, crowns of righteousness, crowns of Christ. That await us in glory. But again, this crown is a crown that is life. This pilgrimage is a life of death. Death surrounding us. Death indwelling us. Remember, the wages of sin is death. We are surrounded by sin. We are indwelt with sin. But he has given us a crown that is life. And he has given that to us now. Yes, we will drink that cup of death. All of us. Every single one of us. Not one of us is an exception, including our Lord. But, we get one death. One little minuscule death. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses it for Christ's sake, will be given eternal life. He is the true king. He is the one true king who has come as king to win this eternal battle. This was not to pacify or redeem us from the devil. This is to satisfy and redeem us from the wrath of God. The devil is just kind of in the way. This is not to say. Everybody mocked Jesus, right? Satan thought this was, this, this is fantastic. Wow, I'm actually going to kill the Son of God. Through, remember Joseph, what you meant for evil, God has meant it for good. That is a plan of salvation for all of his people. What Satan meant for evil, God has meant for good. He sent his son. He sent the king of all the universe, and all the heavens and the earth and all, all that is, to bring us, to save us. So we don't have to bear the, the darkness. We don't have to bear the full weight of our sins. We will be held account. If this world, if this world could just get a glimpse as to that idea that if there is, you know, if there is goodness, if there is a true goodness, if there is true righteousness, then there must be a righteous and holy God. And if there is a holy and righteous God, then I will be held account for everything I've done, 
everything I've set, said, and everything I've even thought. Sirs, what must I do to be safe? Remember the jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The answer was, believe. That's our answer. That's our answer. Through the providence of God's grace to save his people. And we shall rejoice in glory but we rejoice now. Again, this is great news. Very sad, very terrible, it was necessary, but it was necessary because God is just. God is holy. He will not wink at sin. He will not pass it over. And it always seems like it for, that he does for a time. And he sent his son bear the weight to save us to himself. Praise God, we serve such a king as he. Let's pray. Father, this time I've pleased you. I ask that you fill all of our hearts, and all of our minds, all of our souls, the truth and the testimony of the cross that we might not wander away that we might daily look upon our Savior unto you for that is how we approach the throne of grace for he is the veil Father give us eyes to see give us ears to hear Bear up in us a holy flame, devoted, committed to you, to taking your gospel, taking the good news of the victory of our King to the ends of the earth. I praise you without end. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.